How's that? Quite the sound difference. We've got... Whoa, whoa. We're just going into this, Doc. You ready? Sure. Are we rolling? Are we rolling? Hang on. Welcome to the Eric Anders Lang Show. It's a bit of a mess. (laughs) Back by popular demand, Dr. Parent. How do you feel? I feel great. You know, we always have a great time together. And since, since we met, you know. Right. Inviting you, you were a little shocked when you said, how do I find out more about this meditation stuff? And I said, well, why don't you come up and I'll give you instruction. I was definitely shocked. I thought maybe you were going to kill me, (laughs) but instead you just killed the bad part of me. Or what did you, no, what did you do? I helped you wake up. Right. You know that uh, we've talked about Zen golf and its origin and Buddhist teachings. And I don't think a lot of people understand that Buddhism isn't a religion like um, other theistic religions, like Judaism or Christianity or, or Islam. Uh, and in fact, if you were to translate it into English, Buddhism would, would translate as awakeism. Right. So it really is not so much about an individual who lived 2,500 years ago, but about the capacity for us to wake up to our full potential that everybody has. And that's what always excited me about it. And that's what invited you into it. So would you say for people that uh, are, you know, yet to be introduced to your work and your um, mission, would you, would you say that your main like, like theme or goal is waking up on the golf course? Yeah. Yeah. I wouldn't call it a mission. I, I was just talking uh, to Evan about it and uh, people come to me because they know that they, that, if they improve their mental game, that'll help their golf. So they want to come to me to improve how their mind works so that to get better at golf. And I use golf as an entryway or gateway or avenue to help them understand their mind better. So it's golf to wake up. What have you seen any, um, What's the best example of that that you've seen in your career as a as a uh, golf slash meditation teacher? Is that is that how you describe it? Yeah, I would describe it that way. And I think the most exciting thing is that it's not just one person, but it's many many people. Uh, I even say <clears throat> when somebody says, "Hey, Doc, uh, this is about a lot more than just golf, isn't it?" I said, yeah. "Congratulations, you made the honor class." Uh, that would be the first time in my life I've heard that. <laughs> so, so we have uh, a lot of people who have said th- that the the books Zen Golf and my lessons with them have been as important or more important for their lives than for their golf, and that is really my bottom line. When when I first wrote it, uh, the manuscript, the editor called me and said, uh, you know, some of your chapters don't mention golf. I said, yeah, I know. It's a life book as well as a golf book. They said, yeah, well, we wanted to publish a golf book, so would you mind adding some golf into those chapters? Didn't you have to change the title? What, wasn't there like a, a title swap there? Well, um, there was, but, it, but in filling out the chapters, if you read Zen Golf, you'll see some chapters where it, it, golf isn't mentioned until near the end either in the last paragraph or near the end, there's one paragraph that starts, and in golf. That, that, that means I had to add that one in. <laughs> but, but, you know, um, the, one of the sections in Zen Golf is about what, what's called Shambhala Golf. And Shambhala was a 
legendary is a legendary kingdom in Asia. It's basically the Asian version of Camelot, where it's this enlightened kingdom. And so, uh, but I realized, well, people are not going to be all, they're not going to know what that means. So I submitted it as Enlightened Golf. And Doubleday is the publisher, and uh, the editor called me and said, well, you know, um, the sales team thinks Enlightened Golf is a little soft. They wondered if you could call it Zen Golf. And I said, oh. You know, there's Zen cats and Zen dogs. Wait, there's, and a, there's a book is, called Zen Cats. It, oh, this was this was go, this was sixteen. This was sixteen years ago. Zen Golf came out sixteen years ago. I need to. And, have you read Zen Cats? Can we just talk about that for a second? How <laughs> I, I just saw Yoga for Cats, but let, let's go. Let's go back to. Uh, it's a pretty funny calendar. This, this but, was but, almost called enlightened golf that's so i'm holding zen yes, golf that's if, right for those of you that are listening you can watch this on youtube and see me and doc in our wonderful uh what are we we're in glory are we glorious right now what are we oh uh, we're uh, enlightening <laughs> enlightening the uh the listening public so and viewing public so so the whole idea was uh, i i said um they said the editor said well you know you can, it's your book you can call it what you want mm-hmm. but I don't think the salespeople are going to get behind it. So I said, let me see if I understand this right. Okay, I can call it what I want and no one will ever see it. Or we call it what you want and they'll get behind it and sell it. I said, you can call it upside down golf if you want to. I don't care. Just, <laughs> I want it, I want it in, in people's hands. And you know what? They were right. It was, it's a crisper title. Uh, the book design that they, they came up with I had in mind a lot of sky and a little earth underneath. Hand me the hand me the book. You can see. So I had I had in mind that you know you'd see a little golf course down there oh, yeah. near the bottom. They said no, no, we want it all blue with just the golf ball in the corner that you had that I had in mind, and they were right. It's very unusual, and it's the all blue golf book. You, almost every golf book has green in it. And what's cool is this is essentially for anyone who's really interested in the mental game. This is. Would you say the Bible? I mean, it's bold. It's, I know it's bold, but I, you know, that's I, I made bold claims. Yeah, I would call it my the uh, the main text. Ah, and then of course there's Zen putting and the art of the mental game and my my last last golf book that I that I've written so far is How to Make Every Putt. Right, the secret to winning that's, golf that's a game bold title. within the game. So I'm curious to know when you're describing this experience, by the way, for everyone who's listening now, we did it. We did a podcast Mm -hmm. six months ago, maybe. And I haven't ever had as many responses to a podcast as the one you and I did. Uh, A lot of responses to people saying I shot my best round while listening to mostly you talking, not really me, Um, you know, or they were turned on to Zen golf and Mm -hmm. all of a sudden shot their best round. Like a lot we basically are responsible for a lot of people's lowest rounds. And I just, I wanted to bring you back to celebrate for an hour. I, I do enjoy that. And in fact, last night, I did a, a FaceTime lesson. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was 6.15 Pacific time. It was uh, on Tuesday. It was 12.45 South Australia time in Adelaide, Australia on yeah. Wednesday. So it was the next day. I asked, "What's going to happen tomorrow?" Were you giving but a lesson to really my ex-wife? Know. No. <laughs> so, um, so uh, this lady had listened to your podcast, 
ordered the audio version of Zen Golf that I recorded, listened to it and said, and what she said to me was, this is, I realized this is what I needed for my golf, but also for my life. And I want to do lessons with you. And so we just set up times um, halfway around the world. You know, it's really... And it's like being in the same room. It's It's very much like you and I sitting across the table from each other, only on a screen and the same distance. Yeah. Well, what's interesting is there are people in New Zealand and Australia right now watching this video and they think they're in the same room. That's right. And, exactly. And Hi. on some level, they are. Nice to see you. Yeah, it's good. I'm glad you're here. <laughs> You've made it uh, 10 minutes in, so that's great. Congratulations. Um, no, two things. One is, well, the book. So at what point, you know, you're making this book, you're, you know, taking advice from a publisher on mm-hmm. marketing and things like that. At what point are you like, whoa, this is working? Like at what point in, in Dr. Parent's life of, because at that point you were, um, were you already teaching on tour? Uh, yes, I was already teaching on tour. And, and the book is your first real big swing. Well, what the book is, ideally, I was going to just write two or three page magazine articles hmm. in golf magazines. And I wanted it always to not be theory, but to be something that came out of my golf lessons. Mm. So most of the stories in Zen Golf are anecdotes of elements of golf lessons that I taught that are the jumping off point for explaining aspects of the mental game that will help people um, have less frustration, Mm. more consistency, and lower scores. And so those three things are pretty much what golfers all desire. The only time I've heard somebody disagree is they say, I, I, want, I want less consistency because I'm, consistently, because I'm bad. consistently bad. Yes. But that's not really what we mean by the consistency. Right. So, so that was my intention. And then I was introduced by my sister to a literary agent who had heard about it and, and had said, Buddhism and golf, that's really hot. I want to see it. So I, I got out my notes from my lessons. It, it was a lot like what Harvey Pennick's son did yeah. for his book. He, he had a shoebox full of notes from his lessons. I, I had a computer full, but I uh, got out all my notes and wrote little wrote chapters. And she sent it into Doubleday, and they said, yeah, this is great. Uh, we want it. So that I had to write the book in two months. Whoa. Um, so somebody well, it sounds said, like you'd already written it too. Well, long yeah. Time. Somebody said, "How long did it take you to write it?" And I said, 20 years," because it was well, accumulation of all my lessons and my notes. That's the Picasso answer. But then I, <laughs> then I put it together, and um, I, f- I felt like it was really good. The order of the chapters, I have, kept having to change them around, and and it was almost random which order it ended up in because they all are interwoven. Right. You can read any one chapter and it stands alone, but it relates to lots of the other chapters. So it doesn't matter what, what order you read them in. Yeah. Because um, a lot of people read things out of order, like myself. And I intentionally made it two and a half pages max per chapter because people turn a book, to, you know, they're reading a book, they open a chapter, they go, ooh, how long is this? Oh, 15 pages. Yeah, I, I, can't, I can't do that. No. Put it away, never get back to it. Two pages? Yeah, I can do that. Then they look, well, how's the next one? Two pages? Sure. And they do yeah. that eight times, and they've read 16 pages. What's really interesting, but, but at what point did you realize that the book was successful? That was my question. Like, at what uh, point were you like, oh, my goodness? Because like, you're... I, I, I knew that it was good, 
And right. I knew that it worked because it came from my lessons. And, and they were very, very effective. So I knew that it worked, and I knew that the principles that I was presenting were universal principles. At what point did you know, though? Because it's a bestseller, am I right? Mm-hmm. At what point were you like, oh, my goodness, I have written a bestseller. That was in December. I've made it. Not, it. not when did they tell you it's a bestseller, but when did you know in, that it was really doing it? Okay. Uh, the book came out in May 2002. Okay. That summer, it made it in the three books that were picked by Golf Digest for your summer reading. Well, And at the U.S. Open, this, this is when I really felt it. At okay. the U.S. Open on Long Island, Bethpage Black, Ooh. and they're going back there for the PGA this year. Yes. Um, there was a golf writer from Newsday newspaper, you know, 150,000 circulation in all of, or a million in, in Long Island, New York. And she said um, it was about the mental game. And she'd gone into a bookstore to see what books, golf books there were on the mental game. And she said there were all these mind-bending tomes of psychological blah, 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 blah. And she went through some of the, the psychological language, she said, which is, was kind of a turnoff. And then in the next to last paragraph, she said, and then there's my favorite, Zen golf. And she says one paragraph about it, and, and then she said, and the chapter titles isn't where you have to hit it from punishment enough. And then her last word in the article was exactly. And that's when I knew. Right. And I had never met her before. She found the book herself and chose it of all the, the mental game books there. That's her favorite. So I said, oh, I think we got something. Right. Then I was interviewed on the Golf Channel that winter for a two-minute two interview that... I mean, it was like the end of November, Q School hadn't started. There were no tournaments that week. So who's watching Golf Channel? And uh, the publisher ran out of books. Whoa. So um, it worked. No books. Yeah, that's when I knew. That's like a, a hipster uh, merchandise company. Just <laughs> sell, sell out, like immediately. Yeah, but there were 25,000 printed, so that was good. That's good. How many have you sold so far, do you know? In um, print digital and audio in worldwide in 10 different languages about a million 20 billion a about one, a million a million yeah that was my goal that is awesome yeah it's it's very gratifying you know what the cool thing is now i have junior golfers that are my students that were not born when zen golf was written whoa so that's that's pretty cool do you give them a lot of shit uh, no, <laughs> I am very encouraging. Who's, who's the, uh, so, okay. So we've got, you know, a lot of people who have responded to the mm -hmm. podcast. Mm -hmm. Um, you, you know, we were just talking about, um, some experiences you've had with the Shivas Iron Society. Mm -hmm. They, uh, if you haven't read Golf in the Kingdom, I think that's an important read. Would you say, what, what would you say people should read that's not written by you? Um, yeah, I think that's great. Michael Murphy wrote a, a great allegory of, uh, um, <clears throat> his experience. It was his experience on his, on his way to an ashram in India in the 1960s. He wrote this in 1972. This is, you're, you're talking about the book like it's a true story. Um, no one knows, but, um, we think that it's rooted in some truths that then Michael, uh, in his, um, uh, um, Irish storytelling 
uh, unique way, elaborated very, very um, beautifully. And so that's great. Uh, other books that I think people... Um, one of my favorites is by Thich Nhat Hanh, a, a Vietnamese Zen master, called Peace is Every Step. And it's really, it's really beautiful. He's a poet as well as a teacher. So the writing is, is really, really beautiful. And we were just talking about an iconic Zen book called Zen, uh, Zen Mind, Beginner's Mind. Mm. And I use a quote from that in the very first chapter, that in the expert's mind there are a few possibilities, in the beginner's mind there are many. So uh, always maintain that beginner's mind. And, and we talked about thinking outside the box. You might, uh, you might probably benefit the listeners by explaining whatever you just said. Who, people who haven't heard that. You, we glossed over a large uh, principle in, in your world. Well, beginner's mind means that <clears throat> you're, uh, you don't have set preconceptions and opinions and think you know everything. So it's really being open-minded and open to learning. Uh, in Zen Golf, I talk about a, a Buddhist, old Buddhist metaphor of uh, receiving teachings. And the student is like some kind, uh, a different kind of vessel or cup. Right? So you have, uh, right, you have right side up. Um, there's one that's upside down. So when the water's poured, nothing goes in. You, you really haven't really shown up. And the other one is it's right side up, but there's a hole in the bottom. So whatever goes in, goes, it's like in one ear and out the other. So you don't remember anything. You're not really paying attention. The third kind, it's upright and doesn't have a hole, but it's coated with what was in there last time. So what comes in new is really not new. It's mixed with the old stuff and, and edited or polluted. So if you have a clean cup that's upright with no hole, then you can receive the teachings without having um, your version of things. I, I encounter that with students when I say, well, you know, you could look at it this way, and, they, and then they name some golf, famous golf instructor. Well, so-and-so said this, and so-and-so said that, and I, and I think it should be this, and I think it should be that. And I said, are you paying me to give me a lesson, or do you, do you want to, do you want to hear what, what what you know I'm suggesting you think about? So uh, so it's it's the kind of student that you want is is like a sponge, open minded, wanting to learn, wanting to want, wanting to let go of old ideas and explore new ones. I had an ex can I switch gears? Yeah, sure. I had an experience this morning at Evan. Third Evan. up up gear or lower gear. Um, I haven't decided yet. I'm just putting it in. I'm putting the clutch in, and then I'm just going to pick a gear. Um, if you're if you're look if you're watching the video here and you're wondering who Doc's looking at, he's looking at Evan over here. Hi. Uh, just yeah, I can't really turn the camera, but the point is, the uh, Evan and I played golf, and and you know whenever this comes out, I don't know, but yeah, let's show Evan to the Evans here. So just because you're Hi, you're probably watching the video wondering who Doc's looking at, and it's not Snowball. It's much more handsome version of a much bigger dog. Much bigger. <laughs> <laughs> We've all played golf together. How and, you doing, dog? Good, and, pretty there good, you go. Pretty that's good. That's a wrap. But, <laughs> but I just I bring Evan up for that for the reason of the eye line because I'm a filmmaker and it freaks me out because looking around. But the well, the one thing that I was going to say is that we played golf together and um, you know I don't know if you noticed it but but uh, but you know whenever this whenever this was I'm sure we've all experienced this type of person who is sort of uh, sort of um, you know, 
only said a couple things, right? New to the group. And, and I think the first thing I heard was, um, uh, you know, sort of a, sort of a disdain for the greens. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and this has become more in the forefront of my golf experience, right? Hearing, hearing those things, hearing, hearing those things really, really hit the peak for me Mm. because I actually shanked, uh, my wedge on 18 and I mean, I'm not bragging, but I, my practice now is to just literally like say nothing and just see how it feels in my body. And, and the less I say, the more calm I feel about what's usually a negative experience. Yeah, I think that's good. That connects with what I teach is a post-shot routine. That's good. But I just wanted to talk about how would you, as a member of a foursome mm-hmm. and as a person who has knowledge yeah. and whose job it is to distribute knowledge... How do you how do you deal with a person who's like you're like well geez I mean do they even know that they just blamed some grass for their bad performance do they yes, know that's that interesting. right that's that are that's they aware well l- let me let me unpack it a little bit yeah. first of all I'm not particularly so much imparting knowledge hmm. as helping them discover things for themselves because uh, I feel like. Uh, Golf and most things can't be taught. They can only be learned. So the role of the teacher is to help the student discover, not just to lay it on them. You're you're not talking about swing lessons, are you? I'm talking about anything. Anything. Golf, anything. Learning anything. Is this maybe why golf is so fascinating to us? Um, it, It could be, and it's why it's so difficult, because very often people try to teach it. And they try to say, uh, this is... You know, this is what you should do. This is how you should learn it. Instead of saying, what if you try this? What does that feel like? Right. Hang and on one second. Yeah. We're just going to cut and re-roll. It's so the vlog all flows together. It never okay. happened. Keep talking. Okay. So so what I was saying was golf can't, and, and other things in life, uh, really can't be taught. They can only be learned. And so my role is not to lay it on you and say, this is what you should know. Uh, and, and you shape yourself around what I'm teaching. It's to help the student discover things for themselves and what works for them. Mm. So very often I might suggest something and say, and, and halfway through I say, yeah, that's not working for you. Let's try something else. Mm. Um, in many different kinds of techniques, because it's really an, an art of helping them discover it rather than a canned program that they have to fit themselves into. Okay. Now, so, so as far as that person, I would want them, instead of saying, do you know what you're doing? You're screwing this up this way, that way, the other <laughs> way. I, I don't think that's going to really come, come across. And I say, well, that, that was interesting. Why is it that you feel like it was the green since everybody else's ball went in? Well, I could say because they're <laughs> they're 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 not mowed consistently and they're not cared for very well. And so then I would say, you know, that's part of what you can't control. Uh, and so, uh, like like life, golf, you can control some of it, but not all that much, and probably less than you think. And I think uh, that's a tendency of golfers, right, is to create these moments where we can blame the external forces and take responsibility out of ourselves. I mean, Nicholas would always say that, you know, every time he hit a bad shot, it was because a helicopter was buzzing overhead or there was a bee that was kind of flying by. And I think that, like with the greens this morning, you know, he 
hit a bad putt and wanted to resolve himself of that challenge in himself of hitting a bad putt. The fact that it didn't go in, he wanted to give himself a pass. And so it's, oh, the greens, it's bumpy. Like that's, that's what caused my action. I think it's a little different than that. Um, from, <clears throat> from Jack's point of view and from a, a golfer with that kind of expertise, what he's trying to do, what his, and I've talked with him about it, and his intention was not to blame something else. It was not to create self-negativity. Right. Not to say, I screwed up, I screwed up, and start to get this thing, um, which is a problem, and that is anticipating screwing up right. before the shot. Ah, uh, yeah. It's something that I, I worked with VJ a lot on because golfers are incredible critics, yeah. right? Yeah. Highly we, critical. If, if the... If, I've had people criticize a shot and then the ball go in yeah. for a hole in one. Yeah. Okay. Matsuyama. I mean, and yeah. And just, just if it doesn't go exactly perfectly, it's easy to find lots of things wrong with it. The problem is if after a shot you find things wrong with it, um, then what translates into before the shot, human beings are, are gauged to anticipate. Uh, that's something that's in our genetic system. It's been bred because if if two prehistoric guys are walking around the uh, are, are walking around um, the corner of a rock and one says, you know, I think there might be a tiger on the other side, and I better get ready to run, and then there is a tiger and the other guy wasn't ready to run. Well, you don't have to outrun the tiger; you just have to outrun the other guy. Right. And and so what ends up happening is that um, you start to anticipate something going wrong. And then it changes your mindset before the shot and you start playing a shot to prevent something bad from happening instead of playing the shot to make something good happen. So, so it's, a, it's a different purpose. Now, um, when it comes to blaming the green, the key thing is to separate what you can control and what you can't. If he hit a bad putt and then blame the green, then he's not learning from that. But if you hit a good putt and blame the green, then you can say, you know, I made my putt. And so I don't feel badly about the putt. It hit a bump and, yeah. and it kicked it sideways. That's life and that's the greens that I got. Yes, and, and, re and remember, Gary, Gary Player was very specific about this, of never, he always found something good about the golf course. They would say, so, you know, he played like this terrible goat track in the middle of nowhere. And, uh, and, uh, and somebody said, so what did you think of the course? And he says, I have to say, this is one of the finest examples of a course of its kind that I've ever experienced. <laughs> in other words, it was the finest goat track that yeah, he'd ever exactly. experienced. But, right. but he found a, a diplomatic way to yeah. say something good about it instead of focusing on what's wrong with it. And, and if we start looking for what's good in our lives and, and have some, you know, it's, we're recording this around Thanksgiving time, so whenever you're going to see it in the new year, you can make this your New Year's resolution. Find something good about things and focus on what you have gratitude for and what you have appreciation for, and your life is a lot more fun than picking out what's going wrong all the time. And also acknowledge what you have no control over. Exactly. Exactly. And so then you focus on what you can control, which is, and that's why, you know, Eric, you were saying the title of my new book is pretty bold, How to Make Every Putt. 
but that's because I separate making and holding. Yeah. That you you can make every putt because making a putt means you, you put a good roll on it on the line you chose at the pace you chose. It might not have been the correct line and pace for that putt, or it might have not been a perfect surface of the green and it bounced sideways. But you made your putt means you have confidence in your execution. And that's all you can do. I ask people when I, they, they do lessons with me, first thing I ask is, what's your job in putting? They say, get the ball in the hole. I said, and that's where your problem is. Whoa. You cannot control that. You're not allowed to pick the ball up and place it in the hole. Even you, then I might miss. You, <laughs> you are not allowed to put the club behind it and shovel it all the way into the hole. You are only allowed to get it started rolling. That's your job. Get it started rolling really well. And then you've done your job. And then after it, it's the ball's job to find the hole. Right. And it transforms people's level of confidence. It transforms their level of relaxation and expectations. And, right. and it makes them better putters immediately. You got a call, Evan, or what do you got? Yeah, I got to step out. All right, you know what? Let's, uh, everybody, we're going to go to a quick commercial. Snowball's going to uh, get on my lap, and then we're going to be right back. Hey, Sklar Brothers here, Randy and Jason, and we have a couple of podcasts. If you you know them or you don't know them, check them out. We do View from the Cheap Seats, which is sports and comedy, and we have a podcast called Dumb People Town where we break down stupid behavior done by stupid people in this stupid world of ours. It is hilarious. Check them both out, and now check out this podcast. All right, everybody, got a read for you here. Sun Care, all right? These two guys were golfers, and they were like, you know what? Fuck the boutique fluff. And so they went out and made some Sun Care for men, and they called it something cool. They used a play on words. I don't even know. Is S-O-N-N-E? That's the name of the brand. Is that like French? Is that French or something? It's uh, Sunny in Cher. Sunny in Care. So I just want to tell you guys about this. This is what I'm supposed to tell you, right? I'm reading this like I'm saying it. So I want to tell you guys about this awesome new product that I just started using. I literally wear it every time I'm on the golf course. That's actually true. I keep it in my golf bag. The product is actually, the form factor is pretty cool. Have you guys seen it? It's actually pretty chill. It's like, it looks like, um, kind of looks like you got, like, it looks like the bottle that holds the pills that I give Snowball, <laughs> you know? And it's just white and clean and you just go and you squirt the top and it's not going to like squirt out all over your shite. Anyway, I wear it all the time. It's called Sun Men's Skin Care, and it's the only thing I trust to protect my skin from the sun uh, other than umbrellas and or my house. Sun was started by guys who were sick of making the choice between drugstore men's care products and the expensive boutique shit. It's a doctor-developed skin care for men that is developed, developed, delivered straight to your door. Um, all right, what's great about it is that it's made in the USA. That's very true, and it's uh, sun care, sun damage is the number one cause of aging skin, and I've yet to find a product that stands up to UV rays better than Sun's Enriched SPF. You know, the truth is, I actually, Snowball's white, as you right know, and I've been giving, I put it on Snowball, and he looks great. He, he looks kind of like Michael Jackson, but his hair gets a little greasy, but you know. The, <laughs> what color would he be if you shaved him down? <laughs> like pink. Snowball would be like pink and brown. I feel like that's right now. <laughs> Very sensitive. What's that? He would look like me. No, no, he has like, Snowball. Come here. Come here, buddy. We're going to just do a little, we're going to do a little investigative journalism here. Get the sun care out. Let's see. All right. So if we look at his belly, if you look at his belly, it's like pink and brown. Hi, bud. Why are dogs' bellies bare? Everywhere else has got hair, whereas men, human men, we have hair on our bellies and no, well, I have some on my back, but, you know, 
Look at this little guy. How tender is he these days, Literally, right? Literally, he has zero skin showing. Yeah. The sun cannot <laughs> penetrate his fur. Snowball. But you know what? Snowball really starts panting a lot in the sun. You know? He might need one of those little, like, one of those little fans with the mist in it. Anyway, go check out Sunscare. Don't get the wrinkles and redness, guys. Instead, use one of Suncare's uh, two products. They've got one in the morning and one at night. Instead of having 300 products like those other assholes. Why do you got to make it confusing, guys? And the great thing about Suncare is it goes straight to your door. That's not confusing, especially if you have a door. That's one of the main uh, barriers to entry for Suncare <laughs> is you have to have a door. <laughs> Can't get past that <laughs> door. Where's the laugh track? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> oh shit. All right, go to suncare.com slash Eric. S-O-N-N-E-C-A-R-E dot com slash E-R-I-K. Use my name at checkout and try Suncare for fifteen dollars off. My name is Eric with a K. All right, everybody. Later. All right, all day. Yeah, whoa. Can't read. I can't read, everybody. All right, everybody. The holidays are always a great time to literally boost your footwear game. You know I love the boost. The boost, by the way. Can we do we even know what boost is? Boost like came from NASA. Google it. Prove me wrong. Tell me that there's something better than boost, and I will literally block you. No, but there is nothing better than boost. Like boost is the jam. Anyway. For the holidays, boost your footwear game and do yourself a favor. Hop over to adidas.com and click on the golf selection. The golf section could be a gift for, oh, get a gift for someone else, y'all. But Adidas makes sure that you can't go wrong. And that's pretty true. Like, I can't find a pair of Adidas shoes that I don't like. Right now, I'm digging the Ryder Cup special editions, which obviously you can't get. I'm sorry. Uh, I didn't mean that to come out in a douchey way. It's just true. Um, but that style. I actually can't think of the name of the style. I think it's the Tour 360. I love that shoe. It's the most comfortable shoe ever. I'll wear it by the beach. Um, anyway, uh, there's the new Addy Power Forged. Ooh, that's a slick shoe, actually. I did get a peek at that. That's on the website right now. Uh, Addy Power Forged. And, of course, my favorites. Oh, Joel knows my favorites when he writes this. The Tour 360 and the Tour 360 Knit. Tour 360, obviously, you're getting the waterproof full leather upper. Tour 360 Knit, a little more breathable, a little more... Uh, fresh for the hipsters out there, but they both have all of that, uh, you know, super grippy, sticky spikes, uh, you know, soft spikes, soft spikes. Uh, don't forget the Addy Cross and Addy Pure. I love the Addy Pure. That is the Justin Rose style. That is the Addy Pure. Basically, you can wear anywhere. You can wear it to a tea time or a date, and I promise you're going to get good looks. Uh, I hear there's also something new coming early next year, which I'm stoked about. I did hear that. I actually saw that. So watch out, folks. Get ready for that. So go to Adidas uh, or follow Adidas Golf for all the latest news and info at Adidas Golf, A-D-I-D-A-S-G-O-L-F. Yeah, check it out. Get that, get boosted for the holidays, y'all. Um, later. All right, we're back, everybody. Thanks for, uh, thanks for listening to all those ads. Um, so... Yeah, I guess um, you know. I don't know. We we were we were talking about uh, you know the experience of playing with someone, yes, and, and, and right. noticing noticing something happening. And what was funny is you were describing this um, this uh, th- this you know we we were discussing the scenario of watching someone essentially make a mental was it a mental mistake that that is? To sort no, of, I think I think that what we were talking about was a particular attitude uh-huh. and a negative attitude where uh, he was always blaming something other than himself. Yeah. Oh, you know, the, it was the, uh, 
the the greens. These are terrible, terrible greens. That's why the putt didn't go in. Yeah. Even though he didn't hit a good putt. Right. And and there's there's an old uh, there's a, a P. G. Wodehouse. Oh wrote, yeah. Wrote all those. I love that stories. Guy. And he said he said he had a temperament that was rather sensitive. He um, couldn't bear the 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 racket of the fluttering of butterflies in the next fairway. (laughs) So, so it's somebody who, who always finds something, you know, wrong and some, something that got in the way. Did you see that move? And I actually had a student, this is in Zen golf. He complained about something on every shot. Whoa. Uh, and his friends sent him, said, you gotta, you gotta do a lesson with Dr. Joe. Oh, that's or, nice of his friends. Or we won't play with you anymore. Ooh, an ultimatum. This yes. is like a, uh, this, this is like, like little a, kids. Like I'm not going to play with you anymore. If you don't shape well, up. It's more like a drug rehab intervention. It was a golf intervention. Yeah. Good for it them. was a golf intervention. They said, you're whining on every shot out there. And <clears throat> if you don't do something about it, See, you need to fix it. So he came to me and he said, he said, I've tried and I can't do it. I said, well, I, don't, I want you to stop trying. I just want you to use your awareness. And this is the system that I have for changing habits called Ninja. Mm. N-I-N-J-A. I Necess- think I know what it is. Oh, no, necessary intention and non-judgmental awareness. awareness. Okay, That's so I right. kind of knew. You kind of knew. So I had him count. I said, just count the number of times you whine with the intention that you'd like to do it less. So his first round, he, he counted, he had 60 complaints. On, okay. He complained on 60 shots. He, he's a club pro. He shot a 72 and probably 12 tap-ins. So he right. complained pretty much every shot. The next time, I said... No, but he, you, you, you got a non-judgmental awareness means that you count your shots. But, but you, don't you don't judge it. You, you, don't, you don't beat do yourself anything. up. Nope, don't do anything. Just notice, say, oh, there was one. There was another complaint. And he had a, I had to mark them down like, like tick marks. One, two, three, four, cross. One, right. two, three, four, cross. Okay. And he called and he said, I, I, it didn't change anything. I said, it's okay. Just don't judge yourself. Just do it again. And the next time he only had 27. Whoa. The third time he only had seven. And his fourth round, he played without any complaints. And, and discovered that instead of going negative, when he hit it, he hit one to the trees. And instead of saying, I'm dead, oh, blah, blah, blah. He said, you know, if I pitch out to that spot over on the fairway, I'm a, that's exactly my nine iron distance. And I, I might have a chance to get up and down and save par. So he had a positive attitude that naturally replaced. I didn't tell him what to replace the negative thoughts with. Right. A naturally positive attitude showed up. So... I think that that's, that's an important thing that you can change those habits. Right. Well, I think that's one of my favorite parts of golf is that it's the only thing that actually gets my goat. You know what I mean? It's the, it's the only thing that really ties me up and, and it's a wonderful opportunity I find to, I mean, I love the sweet spot and I love tricky putts and success, but Mm -hmm. I kind of prefer that experience of, um, just sort of shouldering it, taking it on. Well, the wonderful thing—the wonderful thing about golf—is that um, it's instant feedback. Yeah. If you are aware, the second the club hits the ball, and sometimes just before it hits the ball, <laughs> you, you see your state of mind laid out there. Yeah. With and there's nobody else that that you can blame for it. <laughs> that was your state of mind, 
and you know what happened as you were hitting the shot. And, and you can transform that. But we were talking about playing with somebody that's a bit difficult to get along with. Yeah. And can I just, I wanted to touch yeah. on one thing that where yeah. I wanted to go with this is, it was funny because you mentioned that that person is talking about something that's out of their control. And the irony is that just as that is out of their control, he is out of my control. Yes, that, that's that, right. That player. And could you speak to that? I know you wanted to maybe go somewhere else. With no, no, that's that? exactly where I wanted oh, to so go. so we're on the same page. We're on the exact same page. How do you deal with people? Okay. Period. <laughs> so so I, I had a guy, um, uh, a friend of mine and I were playing, and we joined, joined this guy and uh, on, the, on the first tee. And he, in a very deep, booming voice, starts giving my friend lessons. Okay. Un, uninvited. Bold. Uninvited. Uh, and, and it's irritating me a little bit. And oh. I, I kind of say, oh, man, you know, I wish this guy Wait, would Doc, a lifelong meditator, you got irritated? Yeah, of course. Irritations happen. You know, the Dalai Lama had a quote. He said, he said uh, uh, pain is inevitable. Suffering is optional. So, you know, if you get a mosquito bite, it itches. Now, what are you going to do about that? Now, that's what came in. So I noticed that he was, it, it, he was causing me to itch a little bit. You were itching. Yeah, I was itching a little bit. So I, <laughs> in, in a humorous way, I said, so uh, when did you get your PGA teaching credential? Damn, you slammed him. <laughs> Damn. Serving him up some. Now, this is, this is how bad he, he was. He said, I, 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 I got a different kind of credential from this other online. I went, oh, boy, this guy is tough. Oh, wow. He's going to get your joke. He's going to be tough. No, he did not. Okay. So I said, okay, so this is after two holes of, of itching. I said, you know what? I have to decide that I'm going to have a different attitude about this because there's nothing I can do about this guy. Whoa. So I said, I am going to decide that this is the most fun I could possibly have playing golf. Okay. Because I can't do anything about this. I'm just going to decide I'm going to have fun. When you say this is the most fun I can have playing golf, you mean with this gentleman? With this whole situation. This moment in time. This whole, no, the whole situation. Okay. Exactly. Now, I then, after having that, it kind of released me from the irritation. Mm. And I focused on my shot, and I hit a really good drive. And, and then I said, that was fun. I am having fun. And, that, and then it built the positive direction instead of going south. But nothing actually changed. Nothing changed. You didn't change your way of relating to the situation other no. than... Nope. Other Just than the way you in, saw it. I changed my response to the situation and my attitude about the day. Am I going to make this the most miserable round of golf I've ever played? Oh, God. I'm going to choose to make it the most fun round. And, and each hole I played, I hit... I really enjoyed the shots I was hitting and started to have fun and, and started not to mind the guy so much. Right. So what we think is really a problem is mostly a problem in our minds. And if we change our attitude towards it, the problem changes. Right. And, and in fact, he actually became, he did something that was actually helpful later in the round when somebody else was looking for a ball and he helped him find it. And I said, see, there's goodness in everybody. So, you, your attitude changing changes the vibe that you send out as well. Mm. And other people relax because what you don't know is whether they're doing their thing to try to impress you. 
Wow. And so if you are not resisting being impressed or, <laughs> or resisting what they're trying to do, then you, if you relax, they relax. I was, uh, we're going to talk about my latest book that I, I wrote for parents and children together, but I was just up in Canada uh, as a guest of a Montessori school. Okay. Uh, and I read for the kids and I, and I you taught from the, uh, oh yeah, from the Winnie the Pooh book. This one here. Yeah. Disney asked me to write that book. I'll let you hold there's it up. No, hold it up there's there. no curses in this book, so no. I highly recommend yeah. So I was re- I was reading I was reading to the little kids, and the uh, the teacher at the the owner of the school the 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 director who had invited me up uh, gave me a clue and said you know when little kids these were three to five year olds when they start getting loud if you get loud they keep getting loud oh so you can't talk over them that won't work she said I whisper to them. And I said, that's kind of cool. So the next group I had, um, I was introduced by my friend, and he said, I've known him for, for 40 years. And one of the kids, the little kids, they hear the word four, and they hear years, and they go, I'm four years old, I'm four years old. And then when it says, I'm three, I'm two, I'm f-, and, and they're all shouting at the same time. And I said, how old do you think I am? And they went, I don't know. And they all started whispering. So how you respond to them changes how they then respond to you and back and forth. And, and you'd be surprised how your response to somebody influences how they respond to you. If you come on the attack, they will be defensive. Right. If you let down your defenses and be vulnerable, they will stop attacking. I'm trying to relate this to golf, but I don't think I'm smart enough. No, it's it's very simple. It's the people that you. Everybody has groups and and individuals that it's they the don't game. like playing. It's yeah. the social game. It is. You. It's a weird thing. You're playing your own ball, but you're playing with three other people. It's very strange. Somebody plays at a faster pace than you, and yeah. that that irritates you. I want to play fast. Slow. Somebody slow play. Plays How would slow. you suggest I play as fast as possible with a group that wants to really read three footers? Um, I would walk really slowly up to the green so that you get there just in time to play yours. Right. And then, really? don't yeah. try to, don't try to, um, commandeer the ship and say, Hey, let's play faster. Um, well, you can say, you know, if you want to be snide, you can say, you know, I think you could have hit that bad a putt in a lot less time. <laughs> Uh, but but that's a little bit of a snide remark, you know. So, as it, uh, and I, we played I, in three forty, by the way. I cannot tell you how many times I've I've whispered to myself, he could have hit it that bad a shot in a lot less time, and and that's true. It's true. Yeah. And in in fact, people have asked me for suggestions, hmm. and I in a diplomatic way I said. I think you get a little stale or stagnant over the ball. You got to keep the flow going. Yeah, after your ninth minute of so, reading. And you got to keep the flow going. So I've got a great story about that. Okay. Worked with Tim Petrovic, who... Oh, uh, I love Petro. You know, uh, VJ just had a great last round and beat him in the Senior Tour Championship. Ah. So two of my players won two in the Tour Championship, but... We were at uh, out at in Palm in La Quinta, yeah. Uh, for uh, it, at that time, it was the Bob Hope Desert Classic, and he we're on the putting green. He's before he plays, and he says, ah, "You're the coach. What do you got for me?" So I had to come up with something right away. <laughs> 
Now, I knew that he it was a big history buff, and I said, well, I'll tell you I'll two, two things from Bobby Jones. One, he said, reading a putt for more than 10 seconds is a waste of time. Well, Bobby Jones said that. Yeah. Wow. And the other thing he said was, uh, on every putt, borrow as, every breaking putt, borrow as much as you can, meaning play as much break as you can for the ball to go on the high side of the hole. Mm. So those are the two things I told Tim. So um, he would get up, and he would... He'd walk around a little bit while other people were putting. When it was his turn, he'd stand behind the ball. He'd, he'd kind of lean back, have a look, and go, yeah, got this. Walk up, boom, putt. 18 holes, 21 putts. What? No chip-ins, all 21 putts. Two what did he shoot? One and two putts. 64. <laughs> I mean, he missed a few greens and chipped on, but... Right, but still. 21 putts. That's pretty good. Yeah, not too bad. And 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 without overreading, right? And without overthinking, and just, just play for the high side. Just a confident visual mind. Yes, I think uh, all the listeners will agree that it, it's much easier for the ball to fall down into the hole than up into the hole. So miss on the high side. On the high side. <laughs> yeah, the low side is not the pro side. Low side, not the pro side. Um, so you know we are talking about beginner's mind and. You know, the first chapter of Zen Golf. Mm-hmm. Um, I was brushing up on that book prior to the podcast with you because I, I kind of wanted to go deep. Because I think a lot of people, listeners out there, obviously you can download Zen Golf. It's great to listen to while you're playing. You can download any of Dr. Parent's books. You can read them with your eyes um, and a voice inside your head, however you want to do it. But, but you know, I, I think what we can do here is not just recycle that. I wanted to talk to you a little bit about these kind of deeper concepts we can go as deep as you want. Let me get the scuba gear on, gear on and I'm ready to go. <laughs> scuba, not even snorkel. Oh, okay, he's, let's go. He, he's got a, how deep is Snorkel is go? not deep. Um, so, well, well, what I was getting into was, how, can you relate this to golf, right? Suzuki Roshi, author of Zen Mind, Beginner's, Beginner's Mind. Mind. Yeah. One of my favorite books. I think probably one of yours too. Uh, short read, uh, short chapters. Really fits that mold for me. Um, basically says that uh, it is impossible to separate time and place. Therefore, complaining is absolutely useless. I'm paraphrasing. Can you expand and relate that to golf? You've got 30 minutes. (laughs) Uh, I don't think I need 30 minutes. Um, You know, uh, often people hit a shot and they say, well, can't complain about that. And I say, and if you did, who would listen? <laughs> so, so really, the, the, you know, um, uh, there's a line from a movie called Aliens. Yeah. Uh, and it, no, it's Alien, yeah. the, the first one. And the, the tagline in all the, the promos for the movie is, nobody hears you when you scream in space. Okay. So if you can't separate time and space... Then at any time you're in space, nobody's nobody can hear you. So what's the point in complaining? You lost me. You you, you totally said lost you me. said there's no point in complaining, right? Okay. And no one can hear you because no one is all that interested in your complaints. No, but see that's not what I was getting into. What I was getting into was what he was saying was not. It wasn't complaining as much as it was the idea that. We cannot separate time and space. So there's no such thing as there is only right here, right now. 
and so what I, what he was saying is like there's no other option. He was saying like it, it makes no sense to say something like oh I should have done this yes or I, I, I need to do that. I understand. Yes, that's absolutely pertinent in golf, and that is <clears throat> that uh, you know the 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 cliche phrase is one hole at a time, one shot at a time. Yeah. Right. You can't. I, you can't play more than one hole at a time. You can't play more than one shot at a time. So the shot that you're playing is the only one that exists. The ones you played before do not exist anymore. Literally do not exist, right? Literally do not exist what anymore. What are they at that point? Um, they're memories, but your memory of anything that happened in the past is not how it actually happened. It's your version of how it happened because our brains... Do not process every bit of data that comes in through our senses. Right. Our brains pick and choose based on previous experiences. So how you interpret a particular experience is based on your past experiences. That's why five people can be standing right next to each other, watch an incident happen, and have five different descriptions of it. Huh. Because their brain filters out the perceptions to match things that they've previously experienced. Right. Now, what that means is you have filtered out what happened in the last hole to match previous experiences. So what you're remembering isn't what actually happened. It's your version of what, it's your story about mm. what happened. Like a dream. Dreams don't exist. Okay. You think you're having, you think you're experiencing them. They feel real. They feel real. Your memory feels real. You really feel like that's what happened. Uh -huh. But that it's not what happened. And where does that exist? Only in your mind. Because you're not on that hole. You're not on the 14th hole. You're standing on the 15th tee. But someone could argue with you and be like, I made a bogey. That happened. You wrote that down. But how you experienced it uh -huh. is what I'm talking about. Okay. So, yeah, I can see the number five on the card. Yes, we agree that's a five. Yeah. But how you experienced it, I can't experience. And your memory of how you experienced it is not necessarily what actually, how you actually did at that time. Right. It's what, it's what stood out for you, which right. is why in golf, if uh, you can choose to take the positive feelings from a previous hole and bring them along with you, you can also choose to let go of the negative feelings of the previous hole and start fresh because ball in hand, each hole is a fresh start. How? Okay. So, um, I'll give you another example. Okay. Okay. Um, what I talk about, our bodies are always in the here and now. Our location in the, in space is always here, our body. Our location in time is always now. Unless you have a time machine. You don't have a time machine in the backyard, do you? I don't. Okay, so your body, your body will always be in here and now in time and space. But your mind is a time machine. Right. And it can spend a lot of time in your version of the past. And it can spend a lot of time in your fantasy about the future. Now, what if I told you that the only TV you're going to get to watch from now on are replays of shows you've already seen... And previews of shows you're never going to see. That wouldn't be very satisfying, would it? I would 
be like, why? What? I'd be like, Wait, cable what? TV sucks. What? <laughs> <laughs> so we spend our time in replays and preplays, and those don't exist. Right. So what we want to do is enrich our lives by being more mindful uh, of our experiences in the present moment. And one of the things that I teach for golfers is you'll, you'll play your best when your body and mind are synchronized. And they can only be synchronized and harmonized in the here and now, in the right. present moment. Because that's where your body always is. So when whatever happened on the past hole, let it go. Whatever you're worried about on future shots, let that go. And come back to what can I do to get the interference out of the way and let myself make the best use of my talents on the shot at hand because that's the only one that actually exists right so i I had an experience today where um i was playing pretty well in the morning uh, the front nine uh and then just sort of started missing 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 and you know it was it got to the point where i was like this is annoying do you you know that feeling right sure what is that feeling um, you know, cause it, it, I can handle a couple misses. No mm-hmm. problem. I don't feel it. But then all of a sudden I get that, I hit that like ninth miss in a row. And I'm just like, why am I here? Well, there's a, a, a couple things. One is, um, you forgot something that I taught you, which is the post shot routine. Uh. And that is when you, when you miss a shot that you learn from it. So you do what I call erase and replace. You stay there. And you make a swing until you make one you wish you had made. Okay. <laughs> it's, the, it's the swing you'd rather make. And then, you, then you, you usually can tell the difference between that and the one that you did. So you know what got in the way. And you leave knowing what you did. And you leave with the feeling of a good swing instead of a bad one. So that your next shot is not a compensation for the previous one. Right. And you get to put that good feel into your pre-shot routine. And that way, you know, it's called stop the bleeding. (laughs) You know, I'm leaking oil here. The wheels are coming off. All those expressions. You get to stop that right on the spot so that it doesn't keep going bad shot, bad shot, bad shot. Because what usually happens is you you go, oh, I forgot to do this one swing thing. And you add a swing thought. And then you hit another bad shot. You go, oh, I got to add two swing thoughts. Right. And then the ninth one is irritating because you've got eight different things that you're supposed to do and four that you're not supposed to do. You feel like a pretzel. You, you don't, you're not sure which end of this thing you're supposed to hold. And you say, ah, screw it. I'm just going to get up and whack it. Yeah. And suddenly you hit a good shot. Right, right, right. Because you stop twisting yourself up with all this trying to get out of something that you didn't need to get into in the first place. Right. Now, the other thing is, it happened after the front nine, didn't it? Yeah. So at the Masters Tournament, they have uh, three holes that are called Amen's cor- Amen Corner. Do you remember what the three holes are? 11, 12, 13. Exactly. I knew you'd know. Okay. Quiz. Now, now, that particular point in the round, sometimes the designer puts particularly tough holes, but it's a perfect storm for your mental game. Uh, you're a little bit tired. And so um, you're not quite as focused. Well, also, 10 is a beast you, going on. See, so it could be anywhere from 10 to 14. Yeah. yeah, yeah. 10 to 15, actually. Yeah. Those, that group of holes, um, either 
now you might not have kept your hydration, your water, and your nutrition up. Mm. So you may be a little dehydrated. You may be a little low blood sugar. Or if you're, you interested, a, if you're interested in diet real quick, we can get into the diet book here. That's right. That's, the best that's, diet book ever. Anyway, check it out. Zen of losing weight. There's links below in both the podcast and the YouTube video. So keep going. No, that's good. See what I did there? That's a good segue. I'm always Excellent out. segue. Okay. So the... Um, uh, or you had... A, a huge hot dog at the turn, and your body's preoccupied with digesting. Do they have that. hot dogs at Augusta? <laughs> no, they have pimento cheese <laughs> sandwiches at Augusta. So, so, um, uh, so it's nutrition, it's hydration, uh, it's fatigue. Right. And if your body's tired, your mental focus isn't as good, and you're running out of holes, but you're not close enough to the finish line for adrenaline to kick in. See, if you make a mistake on number six, you have 12 holes to make up for it. Yeah. But if you mistake on number 12, now you don't have as many. So very often people's mind turns right then like, ooh, I had a good front nine. Can I keep it together on the back nine? It starts to count. And as soon as you start counting, you start changing your attitude to instead of let's hit a good shot here say, let's not screw this up. Right. I got a good round going. Let's not. And now you're playing defensively. And so all these things happen right there just after the turn. Right. That's the time to be very vigilant, to do a little extra breathing, keep yourself focused and say, forget about the score, just focus on the shot I'm playing and, and, and bring all of my attention to bear on that shot and let's get focused and really do a good job in my routine and that'll set you up for playing a better shot. Right. Um, speaking of the masters, I was wondering, do you know, uh, how it became known as instead of, you know, cause they don't call it the back nine, they call it the second nine. Do you know why that is? I don't, I don't know actually. Um, I don't know. I think that they felt like, uh, the back nine would, would say, well, here's the front of our property. And now we're going around to the back, you know, the, and that's your guess. That's my guess. Colt, will you look that up? I'm curious. You mind? That's my and guess. Can you, actually, Cole, before you do that, can you pass me the um, uh, the black box of index cards that we usually bring to the podcast? You know where that is? It, might, it should be right in there. So, so my guess is That's that it. that courses were built on the and the. It's empty. Oh shit! Are there index cards in one of the drawers of the desk? I've got some stock questions I was going to throw at you. You know what's? <laughs> you mean about cattle? Yeah. Yeah, how do you like your steak? Stock questions. How do you like your steak cooked, Doc? Medium, you took me as a medium well guy. No, medium rare? Oh, no. Apparently medium well, you get a lot of disrespect in the kitchen. Not so yeah, good. Go. Yeah. That looks good. Yeah. Um, no, actually, well, that's funny. These are my Augusta notes. That's, that's nice. What are the chances? Pretty good. Pretty I've got good the chances. phone number of all the caddies. Well, need, you know, they, and them. they don't call it the... No. Uh... Oh, well. The rough, they call it the second cut, you know, the that second kind of cut. thing. And the second nine simply means that it's, you know, the back nine has this this kind of uh, lower class yeah. quality to it. We have the front nine, and then we got the back. That's kind of we're not, gonna, not as interesting. We're going to see if we can find this answer out. In the meantime, um, let's, uh, let's, what, I mean. We were going deep. We were going deep there. Already, I'm going I can, deep. <laughs> what, uh how how uh let's get let's get met what do you hate what do i hate 
I don't know that I really hate anything. It's a pretty strong word. What's really frustrating? Well, for me, um, obviously, since I teach the mental game, making a mental mistake is very frustrating for me. Interesting. Uh, I, I give myself a huge pass on physical. You know, I don't, I don't pretend to be a tour pro. I know that my con- consistency level, and I have a huge area of acceptability as far as shots go. Mm. I might hit a shot that's 40 yards right of the green, but if I love the way it sounded and I love the trajectory and, you know, and, and the, the flight of the ball, I go, that felt fabulous. Okay, let's see if we can turn it a little, little more towards the target next time, but so what? I loved how that felt. Right. Somebody said, did you see where that ended up? I said, I don't care where that ended up. I, I just love the swing I put on that thing. Right. I'm, I, so I give myself a big pass on the physical outcomes. But if I do something that's contradictory to what I would have taught my students, then I'm, I'm a little frustrated. So then I know I, I'm taking it for granted. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm a, I'm a great putter. but I don't a really great putter. But I, uh, thank you. But I don't practice it as much. And, uh-huh. and because of that, I take it for granted. And some days I'm a little off and I went, yeah, I can't quite take it for granted that I'll forever be making that same stroke. I could use a little practice to... Right. Because we all have our tendencies. You know, I have a tendency to come up out of putt sometimes. And yeah. That's what, that's what the practice is. Uh, before I forget, though, I just want to mention, if you're listening to this podcast and you have some questions, Doc, will you come back on the podcast? Yeah, absolutely. So we, you'd be our first three-peat guests, which would be, well, number one, historical, two, enjoyable, <laughs> And three, we'd be able to uh, get, some get to some people. Yeah, so yeah. if you're listening in your car, you can email the Eric Lang Show at gmail.com. And if you're watching this on YouTube, just post a comment down below and we will, uh, you know, get, I'll print them out and we'll, and we'll do it when we do this again in a couple months. Absolutely. We have an answer to this second nine here. Let's see. All right, so thank you, Colt. Why does Augusta call it the second nine when everybody else calls it the back nine? Yeah, and so they said the winner is not the champion of anything. Other words you won't hear at Augusta. Fans, bleachers, sand traps. Sand traps? What are they called? Bunkers. Bunkers, yeah. The word traps does not appear in the entire book of the rules of golf. Fascinating. Does not. Sand trap. And trap is a place of danger, but a bunker is a place of safety. And supposedly they were named after the sheep in Scotland digging out the leeward side of sand dunes to bunker themselves against the storms. Then they would leave, the swirling winds would fill them with sand, and that's how sand bunkers were formed. I I had known the the sheep safety, but I didn't know um, the other stuff. Did did this computer get stickers recently? I love... (laughs) Guys, this is the work computer. I've had this for years, and and I've let Colt... Uh, Cold has commandeered it, and it has just it has just gotten a pimento cheese sandwich sticker. Oh, that's funny. Which is very exciting. Thanks, Sugarloaf. Thanks, that's Ian. Funny. And we got Player Parish. We should throw a uh, um, uh, only you can thank your super. That's one of my favorites. Okay, so anyway, the rest of this uh, letter uh, article says um, the officially preferred words are patrons for fans, observation stands for bleachers, bunkers for sand traps, and first and second nine for front and back nine. The last distinction is aimed at avoiding use of the phrase front side for the first nine, leading inevitably or so to the vulgar, as, as Dr. Parent suggested, backside. <laughs> so amazing that you got that. That was cool. Without, without even kind of knowing, you just sort of felt it. You, you, had a, 
you had a sort of a mystical way about about the uh, understanding. I I don't do this mental game stuff for nothing, you know. <laughs> what is the crazy? Okay, now, uh, so you you answered. What do you hate? What uh, what? Um, I'm trying to think. Proust questionnaire type questions. Um, what word do you love? Uh, what word do I love? Um, love. Oh, that means a lot to you. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know. I love that shot, and um, the, in the in the uh, Zen or the Buddhist tradition, <clears throat> when we think of people, uh, and we don't think of any kind of personalities as fixed and permanent, we see two capacities in human beings, mm. two fundamental capacities: the capacity to know, and the capacity to feel. And the highest form of knowing is wisdom, and the highest form of feeling is love, particularly selfless love. So that that to me is is the highest concept. I like that. I like that answer. Going deep. I would. You, you asked. Mine for was it. probably a curse word that I would <laughs> that I might change my answer. Um, let's see. Uh, what? Uh, how would you like to die? Uh, consciously. Whoa! <laughs> what does that mean to the unequipped, uh, to the to the uninitiated? Um, with a minimum of fear, and with a minimum of trying to escape it, but to um, stay present with the experience and understand as best I can what's happening to my mind while it's happening. So that sort of reminds me of my experience of the shank on eighteen today, hmm. not avoiding. The, Makes you want to die? Pain. No, no, <laughs> no. But 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 taking a deep yes, breath, yes. saying nothing, not avoiding the pain, right? Accepting yes. uh, such an incredible failure, such an incredible mistake, such an incredible uh, shank. <laughs> well, mistakes are what we learn from. Okay. Successes are what we can reinforce, but mistakes are opportunities for learning. So instead of beating yourself up turn your attention to what can I learn from this? What happens then is if you're looking to see what can I learn from this, uh, it quiets the emotion because insight, learning, cannot, will not, does not happen in the midst of emotional upheaval. So it, I, I tell my golfers, you can, you can, I guarantee that. Unequivocally. Unequivocally. And I tell my golfers, you can't hit straight if you're bent out of shape. You need 5,000 bumper stickers. I love it. Uh, you, um, but hey, hang on, hang on. So what were we just saying? Um, shoot, emotional. Well, you were, you were present with that experience, so it's an opportunity to learn from it. But, yeah. but if you're in the midst of emotional upheaval, you can't learn anything. Insight doesn't arise. If two people are in a bad argument, they cannot see the other person's side. Will not happen. Later, they go, ooh, you know, actually, they kind of had a point there. <laughs> yeah. That's what I was going to say is, is do you believe that on some level, what you're describing is emotional turbulence and emotional equanimity, I guess? Mm -hmm. Would you say that that is one of the fundamental aspects to Buddhism? Well, absolutely. Well, how Ta would you describe it? Uh, taming the mind. Ah. Um, it's like a... Uh, a, a, a stream, the rapids, 
are going and it's turbulent and it's and it's white. You can't see through it. But a calm pond pond is clear and you can see all the way through to the bottom. What what people misunderstand, I think, about mindfulness and meditation is they think, well, I'm doing this to calm myself down. And calm is one aspect of it, but clear is perhaps an even more important aspect of it. That you calm the mind so that you can see clearly. The calm, the tranquility is one part. The insight is the other necessary part. So you have to have tranquility to be able to access insight. But the purpose isn't the tranquility. The purpose is the insight. Wonderful. Last question. What object do you treasure most? What object do I treasure most? See, he's just going to uh, sit like this for four days. That's that's the prob- joke. Pro- probably a uh, uh, something that one of my my meditation teachers gave me. That's a uh, um, a symbol of just those qualities I was talking about of of uh, wisdom and compassion. Is it the Vajra Dara? What is it? A, a crossed Vajra. Is that what it is? Yeah, and it, it symbolizes the combination of wisdom and and uh, compassion. And it looks kind of like two uh, yeah. globes connected. Yeah, it's yeah. A, like a scepter. Right. Yes, that's right. And and um, my teacher's symbol are uh, rays of the sun. Mm. And that's because the sun's rays give us light and warmth. And the light represents wisdom and the warmth represents compassion. When you speak of your teacher, you're teaching, you're talking about um, Ursul Tenzin? Yeah. And and other and my other meditation teachers, yeah. So right. I just think it's such an interesting coincidence that uh, Chogyam Trungpa Rinpoche, uh, such a uh, pioneer in bringing Buddhism to the West, mm-hmm. um, a, a Nepalese guy, Right, Tibetan. Or Tibetan. Apologize. Tibetan. Uh, remember Tibet, or what? Save Tibet. Get the bumper sticker. Um, a Tibetan guy moved to Scotland. Yes, L- lived in Scotland. Right? Married a Scottish lady. Yes, English. English. But um, when Tibet was invaded by the Chinese in the 1950s, uh, he was one. Of, he was very young, but he was still one of the the um, teachers that was revered there, and he escaped. Um, the Dalai Lama asked him to teach all uh, of the other young uh, people who had escaped from Tibet, and this is in northern India. Wow. And then he was invited. Uh, some of the people, they'd gone to Scotland, and um, it was in an area that was somewhat mountainous, and it reminded them of, you know, it was in the highlands in Scotland. It reminded them a little bit of Tibet. So they were, they were coming. It was it was cold, and and had mountains. Mm, right. <laughs> so they reminded him of Tibet, and they set up a monastery there, and that's where he lived and taught until he came to North America. Right. And that was in 1980 that he came uh, to North. No, 1970 that he came to North right. America. I just thought that was funny because um, Scotland, the golf connection. Okay, last one. I was visualizing this the other day as I was driving. Uh, through a beautiful part of the country, watching the sun. And, you know, one of the things that I really... Okay, we'll do two more things. Fine. Whatever. 
one of the things I was thinking of was um, the description of the mind as the uh, the uh, I'm going to get this wrong, so I'm going to need you to correct it, whatever it is. Don't but, assume the worst. But <laughs> well, I want to uh, lower your expectations. <laughs> They're already low. <laughs> I tried. I tried to have none. I, I tried to have no expectations, it, neither yeah. high nor low. Yeah, that's not a personal crack. That's just his life view. Um, no, but the uh, Great Eastern Sun and the mountain yes. and the clouds. Right? Can you describe? Can you, can I, that's a wonderful image that I try to depict sometimes when I'm having turbulence or when I'm just wanting to experience a bit more uh, stability in the present moment. I think it, it's a very ancient metaphor. And that is that the sun of wisdom is always shining. We, we usually take the negative attitude, and that is my problems are how I live, and once in a while I, I can find some peace. But my default mode is struggle. Mm. And when I teach mindfulness, you know, I, I teach at the Ojai Valley Inn, and I teach mindfulness, and I also do um, uh, work with people all over the world through FaceTime or Skype, you know, video conferencing, we're we're talking to each other and seeing each other. Yeah. But um, the image of the sun uh, and and the clouds, the default mode is I'm struggling and once in a while I find peace. And what's really uh, important to understand is that peace is the default state. Mm. We are, we are, peace of mind is our default state we add on top of it. We add struggle and we add confusion. So if you part the clouds, you don't have to create, you don't have to find a new sun. When you part the clouds, the sun is already shining. Mm. So when you part the clouds of confusion and and calm them down in your mind, uh, insight and wisdom come. And, And that's what I was talking about, the guy who had all this negative attitude about his shots. I didn't tell him to replace it with good thoughts. As soon as he stopped thinking negatively, positive thoughts appeared. They were already there waiting to shine out, shine through. Right. Um, but they were suppressed by all this negativity and confusion. So when people say, well, I want to play better, then I say, then do less. I said, well, I got to do this. And I got to, I said, see, you, you, you add this swing thought on and you add that swing thought on and you add this idea on and that idea on. And you just keep adding more on. And I call that moron golf. I saw that coming. <laughs> exactly. So stop adding more on and start doing less. Be a less on. Lesson? Less is more. Wait, did you do that one? Lesson? Less, less on? Less is less on. I think I just a wrote golf, a book. A golf less on. I, I think I just wrote a golf book. Perfect. Um, what would I call my golf book? Last question. What should the name of my golf book be? Pure golf. Pure golf? Yeah. I like that. Yeah. It's pretty good. Um, I had another question, but I forgot it. It was a big one, but it was kind of like the Great Eastern Sun. But yeah, I lost it. Anything else I'm going to add? Should we just should we wind down? This well, always I, happens. We're going to go for 40 okay. more minutes. I know. I, 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 <laughs> I do want people to know that, that I want to make myself available to them. Yeah. And I can do that all over the world with FaceTime or Skype. I just had that lesson last night yeah. um, in Australia. Uh, yeah, and all, and all of your info, we'll put all that in there. Great. Can I put your cell phone number in there? That'd be bold. Don't do, say no, Doc. Don't say yes. 
<laughs> no, we'll, you know we'll, what? we'll if, put your appropriate contact info. We can yeah. get to Ken, who can set you up with a meeting with Doc. That's right. Like I said, I read this book. I, I'm actually curious because I read this book. I was sleeping in my car at the time, driving through the Robert Trent Jones Trail, and I don't remember. I must have. Found, oh no, there's a phone number in the back. I called this yes, number. That's right. And I and I remember Ken answered. I think, and I yes. said, I think I said, I read Zen Golf. It changed my life, and I need to. Uh, I need to. I need. To, I think I just said I want to. I want to just say hi or something. And this was a while ago. Mm-hmm. That's and right. And I think Ken just gave me your cell phone number or something. And then I left you a message and just, I've already told this story. Yeah, that's right. But I said, I, I, I just, I just want to say thank you. Well, you, you are very welcome. Uh, it, it always thrills me to see how um, the, the students who have read it and taken it and applied it. Uh, every now and again, I run to somebody. They said, Oh, I took a clinic with you ten years. I still do that breathing thing that you taught me, and um, <clears throat> and it, it's really exciting, and and that means a lot to me. Well, what's cool about what you're doing is, um, you know, you're not, when you buy this book and when you read this book, you're not you're not uh, you know Zen golf. You're you're not uh, fixing a slice. You're sort of you're sort of like reframing how you walk up to the ball of life, mm-hmm. which is, uh, yeah, that, that's kind of like, it sucks to think there are people that don't get that in a way, you know, um, like, and that's why I was thinking, <clears throat> that's why I brought up today's experience because I'm here with this guy who I respect. I admire him. Yeah. And here I'm, I'm watching him make mistakes mm-hmm. with his own life in mm-hmm. the way he basically takes or doesn't take responsibility for something. And I'm thinking, whew, I learned that lesson. How do I, how do I help you? Well, the, to start with, that's where compassion comes in. And, and what you described is really, really <clears throat> um, kind of a core concept. And that is, people say, well, Buddhism, you're going off and meditating and you're just doing it for yourself. Well, the interesting thing is, when you discover that for yourself and you say, you know what? I'm ca- I, I was causing myself a lot of unnecessary suffering. Mm. And then you see someone else do it, what arises naturally, and this is why we consider it a natural, natural part of he- being human, what arises naturally is a feeling of compassion. I wish he didn't have to suffer that way. I, and I know it's not necessary. Mm. See, if you thought it was necessary, you say, oh, too bad, bad break. But if you know that it's not necessary, that... That, you know, as, as the Dalai Lama said, pain is inevitable. Suffering is optional. So if it's not necessary to cause so much self-created suffering, you see that you, you, you discover that for yourself. You feel compassion and wish that other people could see that as well. And then the skillful means come in. How do you pick your spot? that allows you to communicate that. If you try to do it, it become and, and make them change, it's aggression. Mm. You, you can't make them into something different. But you can introduce things in a spontaneous way that says, um, that might kind of pop the balloon a little bit, that right. might wake them up, but not with a manipulative intention. Just say, that's really interesting. I never looked at it that way. Right. And then they go, oh, there's another way to look at it? <laughs> Boom. Immediately there's an opening. 
And you can't expect it to show up right then when you're talking to them. Right. Because there's a lot of defendedness about that. But later on, you, you plant the seed. And then later on, you may come and find that a beautiful flower grew. A beautiful flower. Like the game of golf for all of us, Doc, I really appreciate your time. Thank I appreciate you. you being so open to, uh, you know, people and, and me and, um, you know, people out there who, who give you a call. You're, uh, you know, definitely changing people's lives, whether Thank they you. like it or not. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, you know, I'm excited to now continue to go out there and now look at golf as an experience of, you know, pain optional, uh, pain necessary, suffering optional. And, I, and I'm, and I'm pain, really pain inevitable. Pain inevitable. Suffering optional. Optional. And, I, and I'm, I'm excited to sort of again, as a you know, in the comments and whatever, you know, really sort of create more of a discussion around this. Yeah, let's do. Plan it. on having you back in a couple let's months, and get to some more topics that people want to or need to hear about. You know, this is like a, this is sort of like Love Line. This is like a radio show. Yeah, and callers. I, and I've been asked to be a master instructor for this program called Swing You. Okay. Uh, along, and I'm the mental game coach. So awesome. we're going to find a way to get that out to lots of people as well. Okay. Uh, to have an opportunity to hear hear some of the tips that I have and and take some of the lessons. Awesome. Another online program. And so, and as well, if you want to get more of the stuff, just head down to the description below and check it out. And again, thanks, Doc. Thank you, Eric.